Will you come for a walk with me? A walk to collect wild food, also known as foraging. Coming along with us are two expert foragers, Michal Murray and Dermot Hughes. Michal from Dublin and Dermot from Belfast. Before I met these two guys, my image of foraging for food was in the forests, deep in the country. But that is not where these guys brought me. Our foraging walk is in the heart of the cities of Dublin and Belfast. I live in Dublin City and we met in my home before we headed off for the walk. Over tea, a chat began about how foraging is now trendy. But they had been doing it since they were kids. They didn't call it foraging. It was just something they did. For Dermot, it was picking blackberries with his mum to make jam. And for Michal... Um, and again, my mother would have done a lot of what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah. But I reckon she had a lot more knowledge than she conveyed to me as well because yeah. there's a, there was a lot of shame, I felt, True. a lot of poverty around yeah. the kind of activities. I remember questioning her about different plants when I was a kid and everything was either a weed and had no value yeah. or was, you know, had its place in the garden. Yeah. But I know that her mother... I mean, they lived a very basic existence yeah. in West Cork, yeah. you know. I mean, they would have been seen as being respectable and, you know, a good family and all of that. Yeah. But they lived pretty much off the land. Yeah. It was very seasonal. And again, yeah. you know, lots of words that would be used in a kind of hipster way today are, were yeah. survivalist techniques yeah. of a hundred years ago. My, yeah. my mother-in-law was yeah. a farmer and she had exactly that same sort of, yeah. almost that shame thing. Like, you know, yeah. like... Sliced yeah. bread was the best thing since sliced bread. You exactly. know, I was sort of thinking it was it was yeah. just such totally. a revelation and yeah. convenience for she loved smash and things yeah. like this, you know. <laughs> oh yeah. I thought sliced yeah. pan was the coolest thing ever. Because yeah. we never got it. Yeah. yeah. It was sophisticated to have sliced pan and not homemade scones. Go. So it all yeah. Kind yeah. Of it, it, came it's out really, on a trend. It so it has book. come full circle. Now it is trendy and sophisticated to eat wild nettle pesto and homemade brown bread. And I'm not mocking. I think that is a good thing. And that is the purpose of this walk. To show you that free seasonal fruits and vegetables grow wild, literally, outside your door. So on a Monday morning in early July, I locked up my house in Dublin city centre where we had met and head off for a walk to pick wild foods with Mihol and Dermot. They both run guided foraging walks around their cities. Okay. But they don't call themselves foragers, yeah. just individuals interested in nature. Yeah. I suppose, I mean, just a naturalist, you could call me, you know. So it means that when you, when you start learning about foraging, it, it, you're, you're sort of, it's a running start because you have the knowledge of the plants mm. to begin with, you know what things are, and then it's easy enough to figure out then if it's edible or not by just looking it up in the book. <laughs> Giving a nibble, as I often do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw you there with the plant. I do that thing where I'll take yeah. the leaf and then I'll smell it. Yeah, oh, and then you'll know if it, yeah. mm, it's something herbal or medicinal or something in there. So much is given away by the scent of the leaf. Yeah, and the flower as well. Yeah, I mean mm. that's the other thing. I mean, there's a couple of families of flowers which are all pretty safe. Like the the cabbage family are all pretty good, the and there's a huge range yeah. of those like cresses yeah. and rockets yeah. and all sorts of things. Yeah. So if you know if you recognise it as a you know that yeah. that family, then yeah. you know you're not going to do yourself any harm. Yeah. But yeah. if if you're dealing with a 
and on Balfour, like you know, the cow power scheme oh, with the yeah, carrot family, there's a couple of poisonous dogs. things in there, yeah. like hemlock. So, yeah. you do need to sort of know, yeah, at least it's a bit like mushrooms, you need to know what the poisonous ones are, yeah. and then you're yeah, okay, you know. But I mean, if there's a family where there are a couple of very poisonous things, you do mm. have to be careful. Once you get over that mm. hurdle, that's mm. a pretty low hurdle. Once you get over that, mm. you're, you should be okay, you mm. know. And I think the whole thing about what I do, like with taking walks and things with people and showing them about foraging, is to try and get over that fear that people have. Yeah, but then sometimes I wonder at that as well because you know our our connection with the natural world is decreasing all the time in lots yeah. of ways, and our everyday connection with it is going. But if you go back a few generations, ordinary people knew a lot more than we know about the plants around them and yeah. their uses and their their benefits. Yeah. You know, they'd have different stories or associations with them. So, you know, they would use different things at different times of the year. Yeah. Or there was times of the year where they'd just leave something alone. And they didn't need to know everything. Like, I mean, no, you know, no. like detail. Yeah. They just yeah. needed to know what was yeah. useful yeah. and what was dangerous. You know? Yeah. True. I mean, they wouldn't know the Latin name, but they'd know what it was called locally. That's right. You know, yeah. often the name would give an indication of its purpose or its, its uh, value. Like a killer plant or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Something basic like that. Yeah. If it has Marv in the name, it's probably not very good for you. <laughs> Chances are. Yeah. Yeah. You lead the way. Right. Okay. There's a great patch over here, but it's been com- it's completely run wild, and there's all sorts of things growing in here. Oh yeah, the ripe blackberry already. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah, that's very early for that. Yeah. Go on, I dare you. Uh, yeah, I will. Was <laughs> mm. it a bit sharp, or is it? It's quite sharp. Um, and look, there's raspberries. Wild raspberries. I mean, it's really unusual seeing raspberries and blackberries out at the same time. Yeah. Although, I want to taste the, the raspberries. There's lots of buddleia over here, and I would always associate buddleia with August, and it's been in bloom for the last like three weeks. Right. So, I think that's terribly early. Yeah. yeah. Those raspberries are gorgeous. They are nice. Yeah, are they're they good? Intense, yeah. Oh my yeah. god, yeah. I got out of the way of this car. We're going to walk first in Dublin. And then later in the season we will walk in Belfast. Both busy, noisy cities. And I'm curious to see if they share the same wild foods. What's that with the red berries on? It's a cherry. Oh yeah. Some description. It looks really good. It does, doesn't it? They sweet. Not very. But they're edible. Yeah. How do you know they're edible? Well you know it's a, you know it's a cherry, you know? Yeah. So you're pretty much safe with the cherries. I taste that they're really sour. Mm. <laughs> I know, sort of pick and mix. Uh, yeah, but I mean, I think our climate here is maybe not conducive to sort of having really ripe cherries. Like this year, the cherries have become really dark because we had right. such a mild spring yeah. and such a long stretch of pretty good weather. If we make it over to the other side here, over into the park, I'll show you. There's like really dark black cherries oh, over there this year. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're really amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, I've just haven't come across that in Belfast. Yeah, well. even mallow. Yes, and mallow has the, the seed pods. You can eat them. They call yeah. them mallow cheeses, I think. 
Yeah, um, and the roots as well. Yeah. I mean, which one is the mallow? So mallow is the one with the pink flowers. And it could be just the, called the common mallow, and there's yeah. the, the marshmallow of marshmallow yeah. fame. Um, I mean, that was, I think, the original marshmallow was used to sort of create that sort of... That gelatinous yeah, kind of... exactly. Yeah. So it's also one of seven plants um, that would be traditionally used in Irish medicine that they said nothing natural or unnatural could touch yeah. it. It had protective purposes against yeah. things like the evil eye, warding off different diseases, and it was thought to be just a very powerful plant. I love the I love this sort of, you know, this urban setting though you know the the, the we i love the weeds that you get you know oh, like i mean if you yeah. if you look here you know you've got your uh, the dandelion and all that goes with it and then the chickweed here well chickweed the chickweed is great because it's it's, it's a great salad it looks t- tiny but it's actually mm. tastes quite nice you know mm. so it's 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 it has little white flowers it's a very small weed uh, always low growing it's just trails across the ground what I love about the leafy things is that they, because we have such a mild climate that these things start to appear even though like in the middle of winter you know what you'd think is yeah. winter like That's, Jan- January when there's nothing else around you'll exactly. still see chickweed any forager would probably also tend to grow their own stuff as well but if you're trying to grow things like lettuce and greens you wouldn't have anything until April or May or June you know so leaves are great in the spring because they taste well like now in, in June or July this sort of thing would be a bit bitter it wouldn't be very wouldn't be so nice so you know at this time of the year you wouldn't really be looking for leaves so much as flowers or even fruits you know um, but in the spring these leafy things are terrific because they fill that hungry gap as they call it mm. you know whenever you don't have anything growing in your garden mm. really you know I always love looking at things on the side of the road as yeah. well but if you yeah. just think of the variety the beauty of them the edible properties of them and the medicinal properties of them and, right. and, and nobody knows you know I know and, and we don't even know the full benefits of them yeah I mean chickweed again has, has great curative properties yeah. like it's, it's again another thing for like if you have grazes or scratches yeah that's absolutely. a soothing thing yeah. you know yeah well like, nettles here although it's too late in the year now to be um, using nettles once the flower heads come on them it's too late so you would pick them from sort of late March up until again traditionally you wouldn't pick them past Bialtana which is around the beginning of May because they thought that the devil had come and peed on them after that same way as blackberries you wouldn't eat them after Halloween they were kind of they were they were left after that the devil is a real devil isn't he Mm, he is yeah pretty bad fella all right yeah and uh, plantain here greater plantain Mm. which has lots of medicinal properties it's all edible it is another one that um, stops the flow of blood you can make if you were out and you cut yourself and you found some plantain just chew it and place it directly onto the cut it'll stop the flow of blood the seed heads taste like mushrooms I've used them in omelettes oh, never yeah, that, yeah but you need to have them quite early in the year because they get very very stalky mm. and uh, quite hard but they're, they've got a lovely sort of mushroom flavour to them before that mm. Before the flowers come on them, you yeah, have the little white know, flowers yeah, that come yeah. on them. So, well, but if you get the young plantain leaves and chop them finely, they're quite pleasant in a salad. Yeah, I mean nettles are also. Yeah. I mean they're a bit of an acquired taste. 
Um, I, I actually really like nettles. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's sort of it's the taste that grows on you. And if you do them in a like in a, in a light vegetable soup, they're mm. fantastic. Like mm. a, like typically like a potato and leek type of soup. Absolutely. And throw yeah, a yeah. couple of handfuls of nettle yeah. tops yeah. into that. You know, it yeah. gives it the lovely color and a bit of an extra mm. taste. And you're also getting the goodness of the of the nettles. Absolutely, I like um, nettle with wild garlic, potato, and barley. I think right. that makes a really lovely soup. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or just an, like I would make a nettle soup, like you'd make a spinach soup. Onions, nettles, a little bit of nutmeg, and a little bit of yogurt. And it's yeah. really delicious. Yeah, an elder tree. Oh yeah, which is terrific. You can see the berries are all starting to form, but there's still yeah. some flowers at the top. But the flowers are just fantastic, know, you know. Amazing. So anything like yeah. elderflower cordial in the middle of winter is just like mm. a, a breath of spring. It brings you back. It does, yeah. yeah. It does. And it's so easy to make, you know. And, I mean, I would pick that every year for my elderflower cordial and yeah. sometimes make elderflower champagne if I'm feeling in the mood. We left the housing estate and headed out into Sarsfield Road, which is one of Ireland's first toll roads, established in 1729 a road that went from James Street to Kamenham and in Chicor. Can you smell the sweetness? This is this here, this is a lime tree. Get a whiff of that? I can, yeah. Mm. It's very sweet. But those flowers, they're a little bit over now, but yeah. those flowers, if you pick those and dry them out and then you can make linden, linden tea from them. Mm. It's the lime tree, but it's not to be confused with the, uh, the, citrus, the citrus fruit. Yeah. Yeah. They call it the linden tree in, in Europe. This, I mean, you can see the leaves are very grimy here. Mm. Like, I mean, you're right beside the very busy There's road. Some much better examples over on the other side there. We crossed over Sarsfield Road and headed into East Timor Park, also known as Liffey Gales Playing Field. From there, we walked over the footbridge that crosses the Chapel Lizard Bypass. We've actually got a great view here down to the church in, in Chapel Izzard. You can just see the village there by the river. Yeah, there's some great rose bushes up here, which I do take uh, rose hips from in autumn time. See, you can already see like all the hips just here. So in another couple of months, the sort of late October going into November, you can start picking those. And they've ripened nicely. See how big they are down uh, They're huge, there, yeah. yeah. Well, they, they're extremely high in vitamin C, higher than oranges. They make a really lovely syrup, um, a syrup that you can add to, you can make drinks with. Um, you can maybe add it with some blackberries to make a jam. So it's Rosa Rugosa. It's otherwise known as the Japanese rose or the tomato rose because if you look at the, the hips, they're really huge. I mean, they do look like tomatoes when they ripen. And because the rose hips are so big, you get so much more bang for your buck compared with a wild rose. Um, they're very commonly planted around, you know, parks and, you know, car parks and things like that. So they're, they're, they're very easily available in, in suburban areas, um, not so much out in the countryside. The footbridge brings you down into the Liffey Valley Park. Yeah, you kind of turn the corner here. I always think, and it's like you're coming into another world almost. You can see right over to the Phoenix Park, to the big, the big obelisk over in, in the Phoenix Park there. And it's such a beautiful view. And this to me is like coming into the countryside as well. Like I bring the dogs down here most days and it keeps me sane just coming, coming around here. And you can just anticipate it becoming quieter and quieter as you just walk down a wee bit here. Because we're go- dropping down a slope away from the road. But I can just start to hear birds. I can hear a black cap. 
I can hear uh, uh, chuff chaff. That's it now. This one here isn't sound good. <clears throat> and we're just seeing birds, like there's some missile thrushes there in that big dead tree, and there's a cormorant flying overhead. So, you know, you're just suddenly going into this place where it's just full of life. I mean, the playing fields on the other side is full of life, but that's different yeah. as people, whereas this is just full of nature. And yeah, it's, this has been left to its own devices. You yeah. feel like this is wilderness here, really, yeah. you know? Even though we've got, like, a path clearly going through it, it, it's not interfered with here. It's kind of like it just does its own thing, you know? But this is city centre. Like it's city centre, yeah. This was called the 60 acres that went between here, for Island Bridge and, and Chapel Lizard, yeah. and it was very much overgrown. And then in the in the sort of late twenties and thirties, uh, memorial gardens were commissioned just just at the very top of it. Here we'll see them in, in a moment. There's a couple of plants here that I wanted to show you. There's a there's a pyramid orchid just here, which is really beautiful. And then there's masses of um, red clover just behind it as well, which makes a fantastic tea, which again has lots of medicinal properties and is used in traditional herbal medicines. And if you picked one and held it in your hand, it was said that you could see the fairy folk if you held it for long enough. Really? But I'd say you'd be yeah. holding it for a very long time. <laughs> so the um, rowan berries are beginning to ripen already and there are masses of them this year. Yeah. They're those super bright red berries that you'll get from late August up until sort of the end of October or so. They're, they're very bitter, but... I kind of like that bitterness, so I, I often make jelly out of them or I'll make a uh, syrup out of them. Unlike the elder tree, which is associated with evil, rowanberry is associated with good. So you would place rowanberry trees around the door at Bialtna and around your bower or milking parlour as well to bring you good luck for the coming season and to ward off any evil spirits or... You know, it was believed a lot maybe that, you know, your neighbour was out to get you and might curse your milk. So it would it could be used to protect. I didn't know about that, about the rowan berries. So it'll add a, an extra frisson to my rowan berry jelly. <laughs> you know, warding off various things, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's so many of these things go way back uh, into folklore. Mm. It is fascinating. I think it's just so interesting the way one tree will have all this evil association around yeah. it and another tree has all this virtue all these virtuous qualities but then in different parts of the countries that will be reversed like yeah. in some parts of the country you wouldn't bring elder flowers or elder berries or the wood of elder into the house and in parts of Britain you wouldn't make a child's cradle out of elder because it was believed that the child would be swapped taken away by the fairy folk and a changeling would be left in its place so a lot of kind of negative association with it. Oh yeah, again, this is just wonderful that you're coming into a, an elevated but yeah. open area. And yeah. You can just see, you can see all those pine trees. And that's the Phoenix Park, is it? It is, So we're actually yeah. looking across the river. Yeah. So lots of cherry trees over here. I think they'd be more like the wild cherry rather, yeah. rather than that cherry we saw in the garden. Yeah. So there are some dark cherries on there. There are, yeah, have absolutely, have a taste. and they're delicious. 
which is like a deeper flavour to that compared oh, yes. to the other mm. ones. So it's, mm. it's, it's nice. It's very cherry like, you know, it's very. Oh, I absolutely love these. They're gorgeous. Mm. Mm. They? Yeah, they are gorgeous. What would you do with them, we hope? So, apart from stuff my face with them, um, they can be pickled, they can be um, eaten, <laughs> they can be made into drinks. So, I made some kombucha with these last week, it was really delicious. Um, What's kombucha? Kombucha is a it's fermented, fermented tea thing. drink. Yeah. You introduce um, a scoby, which is like a culture which eats the sugars from the from the tea, and you're left with a, a fermented drink afterwards. Um, and it has a lot of nutritional value to it. So then, when you've made your the tea, you can then, which takes about a week, you can then add other flavors to it. So I've been adding these uh, cherries to it, and it makes a really delicious tea. Uh, summertime plant meadow sweet here which has the most incredible smell can be added to drinks to make lovely uh, sort of sweet almost like a I suppose like a caramelly kind of a vanilla-ish flavour to it and then the leaves can be dried to make tea and they have a much sharper bitter flavour to them as well you were saying earlier about this idea of the foraging, that kind of trendiness to it. The other word for trendy is popular. Certainly, I'm not disparaging it about being trendy. I think it is this that sort of slightly sneery thing that goes with they're talking about hipsters and everything when you're when you're not one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting because for trying to get people to behave more responsibly towards the environment and think a little bit about it, it's one of the best ways of actually. Uh, getting through to people you know uh you know we're, we're over exploiting natural resources and we really need to sort of tread more lightly on the planet and you know biodiversity can work away on its own but it doesn't really need us to to mess around with it you know and uh, we we do screw it up quite considerably and it's it's the challenge then is to make that whole thing relevant to people and probably one of the best ways of making it relevant to people is through looking at food, looking at how nature provides food and basically everything that we survive on comes from natural processes. Okay, it's it's all sort of two or three steps removed from the wild plant and from, from nature, but people have to make that connection to appreciate it all. And the whole this whole thing of seasonality as well, I think, catches a lot of people because they're so used to being able to buy strawberries all year round and even blackberries and punnets at Christmas time and things like that. I mean, it's yeah. bizarre, really, when you think about it. Because as you say, it's all these areas that connect mm. you back. Mm. You know, just getting people to connect with what's around them in a, in a different kind of a way. So you've got all this beauty on your doorstep and it's it's priceless, you know? But even like that simple act of going and we just tried those cherries and they were mm. delicious. And we part to that and buying them at a ridiculous cost in a package. Oh, listen, listen. There's shops in town that have, you can get a, like a, a packet of nettles in there. You can get, <laughs> you can get wild garlic in town. Food comes from a packet. It doesn't come, you know, from the, the natural world. We're so, we're so cut off. No, no, you don't. You still, you're very much urban here. Um, 
So we're going to come back into the through the memorial gardens there. Yeah. Yeah. It actually gets very peaceful in here. The family of rams are squeaking away. What is that one? That's, That's the memorial gardens. Oh, yeah. The Irish National War Memorial Gardens, as they are officially known, were designed in 1929 by the famous architect Sir Edwin Lutyens. Um. But it was dug out in the 20s. Yeah, by hand. And by hand was so that people would be employed for longer, was it? Exactly. So they used British and Irish soldiers. Um, All the limestone that is used in the... One, two... I think there's four small little buildings just over in the central garden here was all cut by hand in Wicklow. The gardens are dedicated to the memory of the 49,400 Irish soldiers who died in World War I. The buildings contain books illustrated by Harry Clark that list the names of those that died. In later years, the gardens fell into a state of disrepair. You were saying that was sort of derelict? Yeah, it was, it was disused. But, I, you know, I remember coming up on the bus to Dublin years ago when I was a kid and just wondering what was in the other side of the, uh, the gates there because it just, it was totally overrun. You know, you definitely wouldn't have thought there was a park down here. In the 1980s, the Office of Public Works restored the park to its former glory. And it's considered to be kind of one of Dublin's hidden gems now. I've never been here before. That's a great park. You bring it down into Mm. We didn't get down here, I think. What I love is the vistas. If you stand up there, you don't see any other buildings. Oh, it's yeah. Full view into the Phoenix Park. Yeah. The city's at your back, you know. You, you're looking out to the country and the city's behind you. Yeah, it's amazing how this was, like, lost to a whole generation. We might land you through the rose yeah. this time of year. The rose petals that you use in Moroccan cooking... Are they the same type of rose that we get, or is it a different type of rose? I, I couldn't actually say exactly what they use in Morocco, but all roses are edible. I think the big yeah. hybrid, these big hybrid tea roses mm. aren't as good. You know, they, In order for them to be edible, you really need to have the ones that are scented, Yeah. because the scent glands are actually on the, on the petals themselves, at the very base of the petal. Yeah, they're pretty scented. Oh my yeah. God, they are divine. It's actually and okay. And you're just munching the roses. <laughs> it's actually okay. <laughs> it's kind of like going out with two pandas or something. <laughs> <laughs> nom, 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 nom. They're very, ro- they're very rosy, aren't they? <laughs> I quite like that. But the wild roses, I mean, the, like what they call the dog roses, the like rambling roses that you get out in the countryside, they're very edible. I mean, they're the ones that you probably want to go for rather than these, as I say, the hybrid tea roses aren't. The best, I mean, they have the scent, but they don't necessarily have the taste. Mm. They might be okay for doing things like making a rose petal jelly, mm. like a jam-type jelly, and you use rose petals instead. And uh, or the or the, you know, there's lavender there. For, yeah. You can use that; like it's perfectly good. What would you use lavender for? Lavender is kind of like rose. You'd use it 
like you can make sorbets, ice creams, jellies. Um, I know you can add it to lamb dishes. We left the rose gardens and headed down to the banks of the River Liffey, walking through an avenue of lime trees. God, those lime trees are amazing. I really mm. smell them here, it's just the wind's wafting down from those ones. They are very stately trees. And don't forget about eating the leaves in the spring. Mm. I didn't know that. I must. I'll definitely be munching on them next year. Yeah, they're surprisingly good, you know. Yeah. But taste the the flower tastes delicious. You got these are only coming out, you see. So mm. you get a, the, the ones that we saw first of all by the road. Nice, aren't they? Kind of nutty or something. Mm, right? There's definitely a nuttiness, but a sweetness mm. at the beginning. And then, it's a lot better than the rose petals of February. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you win some, you lose yeah, some. Yeah, yeah. The River Liffey was busy with rowers from the local rowing clubs. I can see that there with the purpley flowers and the yellow, yellow bits on it. I mean, it's, they just look like potato flowers or tomato flowers, and it's called bittersweet, but it's poisonous. It has little, like, tiny little tomatoes. If it looks like a tomato, don't pick it. Yeah. I mean, the tomato plant and the potato plant are actually poisonous plants. You can't eat the leaves or anything like that. Well, actually, that, that that kind of fear people have of eating something in the wild, even in the, eating those cherries, you kind of go, how do I know they're not poisonous? They couldn't possibly... How do you kind of... What kind of basic rule would you give to somebody if they're right. smoking? A basic rule? Just to be careful, um, I suppose, if you can't clearly identify something, don't eat it. Um, maybe bring a book with you. But then, I mean, the non-poisonous plants far outweigh the poisonous plants. There are a lot more edible varieties than non-edible varieties. It is easy enough to learn the poisonous plants. I yeah. mean, there aren't, as Michal says, there aren't that many of them. But, I mean, the joy that you can get from from knowing what you can eat is just terrific so uh, go for it you know is that it for you Michal that joy of picking food like where you I can see your face when you're eating those cherries is that yeah it? no I do get a huge delight from it and a huge enjoyment from just being able to go out and pick something in its natural state and I find walking this area and knowing it I, I learn something new all the time because I'm like oh I didn't see that there before so you're always kind of discovering new things you know See some water mint down there. Mm. Uh, let's get some. Wow! Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Oh, that's so strong. It's I love not, that. It's not the sweetest of mints, mm. but if you haven't got availability of mint, you, <laughs> you can any, pop down here. Any marsh yeah. or bog, and yeah, there's some yeah, water mint. Yeah. Without the packets. Without the packet, exactly. Or the having to go into town to get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. We finished up our foraging walk in Dublin. Later in the season, on a crisp, cold October morning, Michal and I headed up to Belfast to meet Dermot to explore the wild food there. We met in the Ormer Park in South Belfast. And you, But yeah, I mean, we can walk around the park uh, to see what's around. I mean, this is this is autumn now, so you're not going to find much in the way of leafy stuff. I mean, when we were in Dublin earlier, it was much more sort of high summer. No, but you, there'd still be a bit of fruit, I suppose, with their blackberries. Yeah, I mean, that's the, this is the time of the year to look for fruity yeah. stuff and berries and things like that, yeah. you know. 
there's plenty to see because yeah. this is an old Victorian park. Yeah, it's full of planted stuff. Okay, stuff that you wouldn't tend to find out in the countryside. So, so are there like some interesting fruit trees here? There are. Yeah, I mean, a lot of you know sort of ornamental trees. Yeah, and things like walnuts and pears and stuff oh, like amazing. that. You know. Wow. The Ormer Park was originally home to the Donegal family, who lent their name to some of Belfast's most famous streets, such as Donegal Pass. The second Marquis of Donegal moved to the park in 1807 and lived there till he died in 1844. He was a notorious gambler. The extent of his death was only uncovered when he died and it forced the family to sell the park to the city council. The Ormo Park was officially opened to the public in 1871, making it the oldest municipal park in Belfast. It really is beautiful because it's got so much mature woodland Yes, and, absolutely. You know, lovely yeah. beech trees, lovely colour in yeah. the autumn and everything. It really is nice. Beautiful colours. They are, yeah. And quite a lot of nice specimen conifers as well. Yeah. But these beautiful big pine trees here. Okay. And then are there parts to it that are kind of wild or...? There are, yeah. Around the edge there's a, yeah. like a nature trail. Okay. Um, so if we go down the path over there to our right, so you can see... We've got lots of beech trees here. Yes, Lovely beautiful. beech trees. You obviously got your nuts from the beech nuts. Yeah. Now, you know, on the ground you should be finding plenty of plenty of bits and bobs. I mean, that's the old husk of uh, of the beech nuts. Maybe some of them haven't opened yet. Do you see the nut inside? I feel like a squirrel here. So you can see there's quite a, you know, it's quite a substantial little nut. There is. Yeah, yeah. It's the size of small peanuts. I've never used yeah. them for anything. No, you. I've just nibbled them. You know, yeah. I mean, you can you can eat them like they're uh, have a taste there. I mean, yeah. they're not unlike hazelnut. Oh, they are actually, yeah. The there's a sweetness to it as well. It's yeah. really nice. I think yeah. with with all these nuts, like the you can eat the acorns as well. But you have to boil them first. Yeah, and of course. I think there's they, say a lot the, of, yeah. they say the same for the the beech nut. You just go in here. There's the cow parsley, you know, yeah. and you can see it's it does look a bit like parsley, but it's got it's got that you have a smell of that there. It's got a lovely, yeah. lovely, lovely sort of herbaceous smell, smell yeah. you know. And you can see yeah. it's you can see it's like carp because it has the stems look like little celery stems. Mm. They have a little groove running down them. And what would you use it for? I could, you would just use it to season soups and things like that. You yeah, know? like a salad leaf maybe yeah. as well. You could use it. Oh, it's rough. I mean, any 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 green plant from the wild isn't as instantly chewable or edible as something that's a cultivar but there is a lovely taste from them and if you chop them up fine you could add it to a soup you could add it to a salad you can add it to whatever you want the the other way is just treating them like spinach and just yeah you know, just yeah absolutely them. yeah you don't need much cooking yeah so you know you you'd pick these and maybe some nettles and maybe some soil yeah. and that sort of thing and, and yeah. just fire them all in and you have a like a nice mixed greens. Yeah. And there's some sorrel over there as well, you see. Oh, so, yeah. so again at a push came to shove and your all your your bought leaves had all turned to <laughs> soup in the bottom of your fridge. You could always come you down could nip here. out to the park and exactly. get some sorrel. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's not so bad. So we can walk over this way and yeah. to the apples. So these these are the ornamental crabs. Ah, okay. They're small. Yeah. 
But if you make crab apple jelly, you don't have to peel them or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, you can just throw it all in. Exactly. So you'd probably take the stalks off. The jelly's good though because it would it would take that lovely yellow colour. And um Well it's the crab oh, my mouth's gone very dry. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's that dryness that makes the jelly as well. It's it is, the tannic yes. sort of pectin, content, yeah. pectin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they are little apples, but they're yeah. they're crab apples, yeah. which is a different species to the ordinary apple, which is the domestic apple. And the crab apple would be a native species in Ireland. The domestic apple isn't, but the crab apple, um, when you get it growing in woods, would be bigger, probably a bigger fruit than that, about maybe twice yeah. the size. But it's often, yeah, it's often quite oval-shaped, and the tree can be quite spiny, more yeah. like a hawthorn or a blackthorn. These are cultivars, which are, you know, bred for their colour and their look. But, yeah, great stuff. There's about four or five trees here in a cluster. Plenty of, plenty of berries on the holly tree, but unfortunately you can't eat them. Um, and then we've got a hazel tree here. I did see hazelnuts on this. Uh, earlier in the year, yeah. But the squirrels again may have got them. Yeah, this is this is a walnut tree here. Ah. So it's superficially very like an ash tree. Yeah. Um, you can see the, the sort of the large leaves, a bit like an ash. Uh, now, are there any walnuts? There definitely were. Um, in the summer, you can see the young walnuts developing. And I did cut one open, and the walnut was actually developing inside. But they are quite chunky. They're about sort of five centimetres across. It's quite a big tree. It's been planted here, obviously, you know, it must be 60, 70, 80 years old. But I can't really see any, any left on the tree. So again, I blame the squirrels. Ah, yes, the poor old squirrels yeah. have to have a... A feast on the old walnuts, probably as well. It's yeah. extraordinary to think there's a walnut tree growing in Belfast. Though. Yeah, there's two. There's one over by the entrance as well. So there's also a pear tree somewhere here, and they're really good pears. Like last yeah. year, I made pear chutney, and uh, this year I just collected a whole pile and I have them for breakfast. A lovely thought that you could head to your local park to pick your breakfast. We left the Omer Park crossed over the Omer Road and then the Lagan River at Strambolus to head into the Lagan Valley. So you can see the, the map here of the Lagan Valley Regional Park. We were way down here somewhere okay. at the Omer Park. This park runs all the way through to Lisburn. So oh, it's about, really? okay. it's about sort of 20 kilometres or so. Yeah. And there's a, there's a big weir. Just, just Well, we'll be going past the weir. Uh, another lock up here and here. So it was a navigable trip, I mean there's a picture there of the old lack of navigation so the reason that the towpath is there simply was because they used horses to, to pull the barges along the, the river so we can walk along the towpath into the, the park and see see what we can find so this is very much like where we were in Dublin down yeah. by the Liffey and this is the weir down below that weir it's tidal um, but it's, it's a real green lung for the city I mean it actually really reminds me of the Liffey Valley here. Yeah, it would be like that. I mean, if you go on further for about a few miles, you'll come to the M1 motorway. It'll cross us, and it's very yeah. noisy. Well, apart from that, it's it's a real gentle place. But it's lovely when you get here. You get there's a water hen over there on the reeds on the other side, and there's seagulls and ducks further on where people feed them. 
Are you familiar with the the, oh, the Himalayan balsam? balsam? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I've seen it on the, the banks of the yeah. Liffey as I well. I think we may have spotted it, you know. Yeah. But it's great because you can eat the flowers. And then you've got the seeds, these amazing seed pods that explode. Oh, yeah. But if you get the seed pods before they go black, they're really quite nice. Mm. They're lovely. Yeah. They're like a sunflower seed or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. So I think originally it was probably brought in to grow in gardens and then escaped. Because you can see, I mean, there's beautiful sort of almost tropical looking flowers. And there's some further down just behind you there, Patricia, those pink flowers. And um, the problem with it is that it'll just completely take over and eradicate all the other native plants that are around it. And eventually it'll erode the, the riverbank and change the course of the river. So people are get very emotional about um, these kinds of plants and, and their, their, I suppose, destructive qualities, you know. I'm not so down on it as a lot of people are because... Yeah. Like, if you look at this area here, if if it wasn't growing here, what else would be growing here? Nettles, basically. Mm. I think the bees love it. They, they absolutely love the flowers. So, yeah, I mean, there's probably pros and cons on yeah. either side. I'm, I actually quite like seeing them because they're such beautiful plants, you know. They're beautiful flowers. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Did you eat the flowers, though? Yeah, you can eat the flowers. The flower, yeah. if, if particularly in the spring whenever, or in the summer, whenever it's full of nectar, you can get the sweetness of the nectar. Mm. And you can eat the leaves as well. Like I mean, it's a perfectly edible plant. Mm. So rather than try and eradicate it by pesticides and yeah, exactly. all that sort of thing, you can yeah. eradicate it by eating it. Eating it, yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I suppose it always interests me, or yeah, what people consider useful and useless, and that weeds would definitely fall under the umbrella of being useless or the enemy or the gardener's enemy and yet they offer so much you know there's so much goodness in a nettle or in a dandelion from edible medicinal everything you know stories around them um yeah such wonderful interesting plants that are just just there and is there a difference between the wild food growing in Dublin and in Belfast. Because we're saying that the setting is quite similar in terms of the river running through the city, but the, in terms of the plantation, is it similar or is the wild food different? Um, no, there's a lot of similarities. I mean, I think the, they're both areas where there's been a lot of planting, there's a lot, been a lot of stuff added to the native vegetation, but also there's a lot of wild areas. You know, a lot of natural vegetation has taken over and has really asserted itself as suppose you might say so it has that mixture which makes it very diverse makes it very good for foraging because you have all these planted things which like the walnuts and the things like that um i i think it's the season that's slightly different you know we seem to be slightly warmer down south maybe perhaps we have a more a, a bigger abundance of ripening fruit in in season so the stories associated with different plants as well would vary a lot across the country but they're, they're all the same plants. It is the case, though, that there are these uh, different little traditions. Mm. And is there between Belfast and Dublin? Is there a different tradition on any of the um, I don't know. We probably don't have really know, yeah. more chips up here. <laughs> <laughs> don't know about that. Yeah. But a huge crop of cherries. But honestly, I had never seen that kind of crop before. It was very unusual. It is the case that a lot of fruiting trees, or just any tree, there's mm. a cyclical thing. You can't really predict and that's what that's what I really enjoy about foraging is yeah, the, the unpredictability of it. Yeah, you just don't yeah. know if it's going to be good or not. You know, so you, yeah. you you sort of 
take it when you can get it. Exactly. So I made my cherry gin, and you made your cherry yeah. brandy compact. compact yeah. yeah. It's gorgeous. So you know, you, you you take advantage when it's there. Yeah. That is the whole point. So <coughs> you're not going to the supermarket. You don't know what you're going to get, mm-hmm. and you're not doing this to stock up your larder. No. No. Well, you are and you aren't. I mean. A lot of foraging is just walking along and nibbling with stuff as you go along, like you did with those those seeds of the Himalayan balsam. I think it's 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 a lovely thing where you can supplement your diet, particularly in the spring with leaves and in, in autumn with fruits. It means you don't have to buy stuff from the supermarket, stuff that's been flown in from God knows where, and you, you get a great feeling of connectedness with nature because you're so aware of the seasons and you know that something is available like the wild garlic is only available mm. for a month mm. and then it's over uh, so so that's your only chance for the year until next year so it's that whole thing of a year turning and uh, is lovely yeah which you get no sense of from a supermarket shelf no. you know as an urban dweller i get a lot from it i get a lot of energy from it i get a lot of a, like a sense of peace from it is there a caution though about it like do, is it kind of guidelines that you kind of worry that people aren't respectful when they forage Mm. always remember that there are other animals and birds and insects that do need this food yeah i mean it's it's a case of never taking everything always leave a proportion so it's it's always good practice to leave something leave some so we can all enjoy the wonders that are on our doorstep walking with michael murray of taking a leaf and dermot hughes of forage ireland to the cities of Dublin and Belfast, I discovered that these cities are magical, bountiful landscapes full of edible delights. A Taste of Two Cities is a curious broadcast production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. Produced and narrated by Patricia Baker, edit and final mix, Jerry Horn, Contact Studio.